Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, Paul uh, highlights a rather beautiful aspect of the Holy Spirit. Let me read it for you. For also in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given to drink one spirit. It doesn't matter, male, female, a Jewish person or a non-Jewish person. If you are born again, if you are born of the Spirit of God, if God is the one that births you, then he's also the one that supplies the drink to us. That spiritual drink we can only get from the Holy Spirit. We cannot get it from our culture. We certainly cannot get it from our flesh. We cannot get it from our imagination. You can't get it from motivation or inspiration or persuasion. We are drinking from the Spirit of God. And that drink is the nature of God. That drink is the life of God. And that drink is the fuel of God that sustains us. Many of us need to eat at least three meals a day to sustain us in the natural. Some of us probably five meals a day, including snacks, to sustain us. We have to drink a certain amount of water or, let's say, coffee to sustain us. Well, in the spirit, it's exactly the same. We have to drink from God. And you may be asking, but Francois, how do I eat God? How do I drink God? It's not, it's not that difficult. To eat God, to drink God, is to receive God by faith. To receive Him into you with a tender, meek, open, consecrated, gentle heart. You can receive God. The book of James says, receive with meekness the implanted Word of God. There's something about our tenderness, our humility before God that makes us receptive. So I want to say, how do you eat God? How do you drink God? It's simple. Be tender. Be humble a little bit. Be meek and gentle. Have you arrived? You'll see if you've arrived, if you've got God figured out and, and you are pretty much acing it in the Christian life, then, um, yeah, you'll see you're not going to really look to God for nourishment and, and look to God for that supply. Again, look here at um, Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 20. If you died with Christ from the elements of the world, notice you were cut from the elements of the world. You've been separated. Yeah? 
Why, as living in the world, do you then subject yourself to these ordinances? Ordinances such as, don't handle this. Don't touch this. You know, we have a song. You can't touch this. This is the biblical, there it is. So some of y'all, you know, we're so concerned. You can't touch this. Don't taste this. We actually have denominations that teach us you can't dress a certain way. You should dress another way. You can't eat this, can't drink that. And it's like we're focusing on ordinances. This has become our obsession. And Paul says here, you died from these things. You don't live by the power of these things anymore. Right? Don't touch this. Don't handle that. Look at verse 22. You're basically obsessed with things regarding things which, which all perish. You are focusing on the outward things that perish according to the commandments and the teachings of men. And so many of us, we will attempt to live this Christian life by the teachings of men. The teachings of men. Get up in the morning. Stay up at night. Make sure it's an hour. Pray for Jerusalem. Pray in tongues. Fast once a week. Yada, yada, yada. We live by the ordinances and the commandments of men. Such things, in verse 23, indeed have a reputation of wisdom. Fast 21 days. No, 40 days. Take thorns and make your bed out of it like St. Francis did. So that your flesh is pricked by thorns instead of by lust. We listen to these things, we go, wow, yeah, that's awesome. This is wisdom. And he says here, they indeed have a reputation of wisdom. In self-imposed worship. Do you all see that? In other words, you are making up your own life of worship. You're making up your own religion. It's self-imposed. It's not God-ordained. Do you see that? It seems very wise, all these many, many things we do in the externals that we think is the fuel of the Christian life. It seems very wise. Of course, it's published in Christian literature. We've got all the books. Look at all the messages. How to be disciplined, how to be a certain behavior. And Paul says, it's a self-imposed religion. It's like we made it up. I'm not saying these Christian practices are wrong. What I'm asking us to evaluate is, who's the source? Your own wisdom? The teachings of men, culture, what's the source of your spiritual life? We know for the Colossians, the source used to be Christ, but it became culture, the elements of the world, philosophy, tradition. Self-imposed worship. Hold your place and go to Leviticus chapter 10. The flesh profits nothing. 
we ask ourselves this question. Why does God take up so much space to tell us about the tabernacle, the priesthood, the offerings, the sacrifices? Why so much space to describe the festivals, the ordinances, so that not one detail is self-imposed? Yeah? The tabernacle is according to the pattern in the heavens. So what is manifested on this earth is not your creativity, not your imagination, not your experiences and your wisdom. Uh, I think a tent? No, let's build a palace. Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. We want a tent on the earth. Not a palace with your ways. Yeah? It's going to be manifested here as it is in the heavens. God will regulate how you approach Him. You just don't make up stuff. Self-imposed worship. So here in Leviticus, we have line upon line and precept upon precept how God wants it, wants it done. And of course, we read through it, we fall asleep. It's just so much detail. I'm like, oh God, how can we have... It'll take us the rest of our lives to study the details, but the spirit of what is being communicated. And this is what I want you all to get. The spirit is, you don't self-impose any detail. You come through a very narrow gate. You don't create your own gate and in your own path and walk in it. Yeah? We come into an already established pattern, economy, life, way. We don't make it up. So in Leviticus chapter 10, Verse 1, and Nadab, and Abihu, Abihu, <laughs> the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on it, and they presented strange fire before Jehovah. Notice, which he had not commanded them. In other words, self-imposed worship. This is what we think will please God. You remember the story of Cain and Abel? The one brings an offering of blood. The other one brings the offering of his sweat, his labor. Cain brings his capability. His offering is according to his wisdom. Abel brings blood because he saw in Genesis 3 that God took an innocent animal. And that brought restoration. That brought redemption. So Abel brings blood. He brings a sacrifice. He brings a substitute. 
Cain brings effort, capability. It gets rejected. Abel is accepted. This is the same story here. They put their own fire, their own incense, and it says here they bring strange fire. I wonder how many things you and I do in the Christian life that God looks at and like, what is that? What exactly are you doing? All of our society is so infiltrated with the wisdom, the practices of men. Strange fire. And it says, the Lord here did not command them to do this. You have to read the New Testament very carefully and see what is actually a commandment of God and what you just kind of like make up as you go. Everyone did what was right. Is that verse taking on some meaning there in Judges 21? It really represents the entire history of religion. Judges 21, 25. I'm not saying don't pray, don't fast. That's not what we're saying. Is everybody with me? What I'm trying to hint at, what is the source? Is it of God or of your own wisdom? So it says in verse 2, fire came out from Jehovah and consumed them, and they died before Jehovah that day. Is it not true that when we just sometimes make up stuff, you feel dead on the inside still? Yeah? That means God rejected that offering. This is not something that He commanded. So we have to pay attention what is commanded. Those who come near to me, those who worship me, will worship me in spirit and in reality. Leave your incense, leave your candles. You start it in the spirit. And the way that you will come to me, the way it's ordained, is you will come to me in your inner man, in the attitude thereof. Is it dependent on me? Is it meek? Is it tender? Do you come in your own wisdom and experience and customs? All the saints did this, so I'll just do it. Or do you come really in the essence to God, in the Spirit? Because this is what He's commanded. Verse 3, Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord speaks. In those who come near to me, I will be sanctified. In other words, you can't come to me the way you come to earthly rulers. I'm different. You can't come to me in your own wisdom. I'm different. Don't come to me in your own imagination. I'm different. When you come to God, He is different. He is sanctified. He is wholly other. And before all the people, I will be glorified. So yeah, we have such an example in Cain and Abel. We have such an example in the two sons, Nadab and Abihu. And we see it again here in Colossians. Go back to Colossians. Such things indeed have a reputation of wisdom in self-imposed worship and lowliness. In other words, it's a fake humility. 
the Colossians played into this. And it says here, severe treatment of the body. We're going to fast this thing to death. And we're going to keep vigil through the night for weeks on end. This way we will prove our devotion to God. Severe treatment of the body. But notice, these things are not of any value against the indulgence of the flesh. Do you see that? This is Augustine's confession. I tried every possible religious trick in the book. Why didn't it work? Well, you can't live the Christian life out of biology, the physical. Your body is really just a manifestation, but it's not the source. And neither can you live the Christian life out of your solical, which is your mind and your emotions. It's not like we just intellectualize our way through the Christian life. It's not going to work. We're not going to fully figure God out. It's not that we're going to feel our way through the Christian life. I just don't feel spiritual today. It's like you're not going to live by that fuel. You're going to live by pneuma. You're going to live by the Spirit. Amen. So, I want to teach you all about the Christian life. But before we get to fellowship and revelation and holiness and the redemptive work of Jesus in the anointing, Let's get the source straight. With Him is the fountain of life. We want to be in that river, in that tree. I hope this message encourages you to turn your eyes upon Jesus and to look full into His wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and of His grace. This is a spiritual man in a nutshell. It's a person who looks to Jesus Christ. The same way that Jesus Christ looked to His Father, and in a way he received from his Father and then practically lived it out, even so you and I, we, we look to Christ. And as we look to him, by his Spirit we are drinking, by his Spirit we are supplied, and you will find that you're able to live this Christian life, yet not I, but it is Christ who lives within me. There are many of you that have failed dismally in the Christian life. What else did you expect? Did you really think your flesh and your stratagems and your disciplines and your steps and formulas, did you really think you were going to live this victorious Christian life, this New Testament Christian life, because you have a strong flesh? And I know you've condemned yourself because you, you can't pray strong enough and you, you can't fast long enough and you, and you can't worship loud enough. Herein lies the fallacy. You were deceived thinking that you could in the first place. And therein lies your disappointment and your self-condemnation. I would say to you guys who failed at the Christian life, get 
your eyes off of your failure and turn your eyes onto Jesus. For those of you who have failed in the Christian life, you're perhaps so close to the real McCoy, the real deal, the New Testament way of doing things if you can just get over your self-condemnation and turn your eyes upon Jesus. And there are some of you who are so disciplined, so strategic and formulaic, you feel like you have crushed the spiritual life and you ace anything and everything in God. Well, the problem I have with you guys who succeed in the Christian life is that you reek of self-righteousness and you make sure everybody knows how you have formulaically uh, lived out a, a victorious Christian life. And you are looking down your nose at those who are failing and condemning them as you're lifting yourself up in pride. I know how to live the Christian life. Do you really? Or are you just overly confident in the flesh? How do you know someone is a success in the Christian life? Well, they will tell you. Likewise, how do you know someone is a failure in the Christian life? They will tell you. The man who succeeds will often talk about himself and how he has come to succeed. The man who fails will often talk about himself and how he just cannot quite pull it together. I submit to you that both have their eyes on themselves. Beloved, turn your eyes on Jesus. Just like Jesus drank from his father, I have to learn to drink from Jesus. Just like the Lord submitted himself to the source of life, you and I, our vision, our, our focus is on Jesus. That does not mean that we don't have a practical life. Not at all. But the issue is, where do you look? Where do you draw from? From whom do you drink? I hope you're encouraged to get over yourself. Be ye a failure or off the charts successful. Either way, you're in the flesh. Whether you have bad flesh or good flesh. This is not the secret to the Christian life. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ, the accomplishments of Jesus Christ of Nazareth alone is the source of the Christian life. And you can drink from him. Beloved, today I encourage you with a strong inner man, say, Lord Jesus, I look to you again. Call upon the Lord a little bit. Say, Jesus. I'm not looking to my failure anymore. Lord, I'm not looking to my success, my pseudo-imaginary success. Lord, I'm looking to you. And the Bible is very clear in 2 Corinthians that if you can unveil yourself and look to him, then the Spirit will begin a transformative work. And let me add to that, the Spirit is very practical. The way I've come to know the Holy Spirit in my life, he's not just all mystical. Is very, very practical. And you will live the normal Christian life the way God intended you to live. Look to Jesus. Look, 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 look to Jesus. I've done it and I can tell you the Christian life is awesome. It's downright fun. At times, it is hard because I want to look to my flesh. I want to brag. I want to feel sorry for myself. But just like you, 
I'm needing to hear this message over and over again. Look to God, for He alone is the fuel and the supply of the vibrant, dynamic, and normal Christian life.